Greg and I get to serve with our youth ministry. Today is the first part of a three-week series on family, God's original design. Now, before you check out, because you think today is just for parents with kids or teens in the home, I want to challenge you to hang on a little bit longer. Family does not just mean a mom or a dad with some kids and maybe a dog or a cat. Families are as unique and varied as the people that are a part of them, and in healthy families, we all have specific roles and responsibilities, regardless of the current life stage that we're in. Today, Greg and I hope to do two things. First of all, we want to encourage families. It has been a rough start to this new year for many of us. The word encourage literally means to speak courage into, and we want to do that by spending some time together, looking at the Bible and how it teaches that God's original design for families is for them to function as little mini churches that receive and experience God's love together and then are transformed by that love into people who love God and love others, one generation passing on faith to the next. Yeah, secondly, we want to talk about how as a church, we're intended to function as one big family. We're adopted into God's family. And, and it, like we know about families, we have responsibilities in our families, just as we have a responsibility being a part of God's family. We have the privilege of being an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ. And that can shape our worldview. So we're going to dive into that a little bit later. Brett Ullman is going to be joining us next Sunday. Brett's actually going to be here on Sunday as well as the following Thursday. That one will probably have to be online. Brett is going to be talking about family and mental health. This is a real struggle for many of us, and COVID has brought much of this to the surface. So we want to talk openly and honestly about this struggle and the hope that is available to all of us through Jesus. And then we have Dustin Borland come and speaking to us week three of our family series. And he's going to touch on how our habits, so what we do, how they shape our character, who we are, how we structure our family's habits and rhythms to enjoy who God is and who he's calling us to be. So that's where we're headed for the next three weeks. Sound good? Greg, would you open us up in prayer, please? I would love to. All right, let's pray. Father, we are... First off, thankful that you love us, that you sent your son to save us, and that through your spirit and through the work of Jesus, we could have relationship with you. What a privilege it is to be a family. What a privilege it is to have brothers and sisters who we can rely on and depend on and support. And yeah, so we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, and we thank you for who you've put in our lives. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible here with you today, you can follow along with us. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and we're going to have one of our Springville kids, Asaph Grant. Come on up, Asaph. He's going to read this passage for us. Good job. You can follow along in your own Bible, or it's going to be on the screen behind us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk 
walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. Awesome. Thank you, Asaph. God's word is powerful. Now, you may have heard this passage before from the Big God story because it's kind of like a blueprint for the how and the when of one generation passing on faith to the next. First, a little bit of context for what Asaph just read so well for us. God had just miraculously rescued and delivered his chosen people, the Israelites, from generations of slavery in Egypt. They had watched God send 10 really awful plagues on their Egyptian captors while sparing them. God was over and over again showing both the Egyptians and the Israelites that he alone is the one true God. After the 10th plague, Pharaoh finally agreed to let the Israelites go only to change his mind and go chasing after them into the wilderness with 600 of his best chariots. God parted the water of the Red Sea, allowing the Israelites to walk through on dry ground, but the Egyptian army was destroyed when God stopped holding that water back. And now, the Israelites found themselves in an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar freedoms, and the culture around them worshiped multiple false gods. And so God knew that his people, they needed to be reminded once again of who and whose they were in this new place. And so he gave them these instructions in Deuteronomy through Moses. God reminded them again, he alone is the one true God. And then he told them how they are to love him with their heart and soul and mind and strength and how they are to live now, set apart as his chosen people in the middle of a culture that did not share that belief and was actually quite hostile towards it. That piece sounds a little bit familiar to us in our day. At the beginning of the passage, God tells the Israelites that they are to first put truth on their hearts, then they are to impress it on the next generation. It is impossible to authentically communicate life-changing truth that we haven't first allowed to transform and reform our hearts. Now, when I think of putting on truth, I think of the process of truth moving from head knowledge into something that I actually wear and live my life out of. Kind of like these Blundstones, these are the best shoes on the market, in my opinion, and um, I've lived in them so much they actually feel like an extension of me. Now, that process of putting on truth, it is a lifelong pursuit that God calls all of us to. You'll notice I called it a process because putting on truth, it's not a one-time event. It's not about being really good. And it's not about doing a bunch of things that we think God wants us to do so that he'll love us more. Putting on truth is actually more about trusting in who God says he is and what he says he's going to do. And it is all about grace, God's free gift to us that cost him everything. So once we are putting on truth, we are to then impress it on the next generation. We know this, faith impressing, it is not meant to be bottled up into one hour a week inside this space. And it certainly isn't limited to a specific day or time or a specific set of activities that families do together. Faith, it's meant to be expressed and woven into all of the regular, everyday, ongoing family rhythms. That's how God originally designed it. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, but what is this truth that I'm to put on and then impress on the next generation? 
Well, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, if you have your Bible, and we're gonna pick up in chapter, uh, verse, sorry, 20. Deuteronomy 6, 20 reads, in the future, when your children ask you, what's the meaning of the stipulations and decrees, the law, the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. He brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. If you are familiar with the good news and grown-up words, we say the gospel. Maybe your ears perked up just a little bit when I was reading that passage. Did you hear it? The good news is tucked right in there in the Old Testament. God was instructing the Israelites to remind the next generation over and over again of their physical deliverance. They were slaves, but God intervened, and he rescued and delivered them and was bringing them to a place that he promised. Because of that, They were not their own. They had been saved, redeemed, and given new identity and belonging and purpose by God himself. And now they were to live differently. Because of grace, you and I live in a time after God has made a way, not just for physical rescue like he did here in the Old Testament, but also for our spiritual rescue. This is the gospel, the good news. It's not good advice, it is good news of something that God has already done for us. Because God is love, he sent Jesus, his only son to earth as a baby. We just finished celebrating this at Christmas. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died a death that he did not deserve in order to pay for the cost of our sin problem. On the third day, Jesus was raised back to life, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, interceding for us. Jesus is in heaven right now, praying for us and for our families. This is the truth, the gospel that we are to put on and impress on the next generation, reminding them over and over again, we were slaves to sin and death. But God has made a way through Jesus, we can be rescued and delivered and we can live forever with him in the place that he's preparing for us right now. If we admit and confess our sin problem and ask Jesus to be our personal Lord and Savior. And then, well then we get to live our lives in a way that shows and reflects the goodness and the love of God that we have received for a watching world. Now, maybe you've never heard that good news before, or maybe you have questions. Perhaps God's spirit is prompting something in your spirit right now, and if that's the case, would you please tell someone? Whether you're here with us in person or joining us online, we would love to talk with you more about this good news. So Julie, you've talked how we're to impress our faith down to our children, and we were slaves, but now we're not. But like tangibly, what can that actually look like for us today? Sure. So family discipleship, it's the process of one generation training and reminding the next about what is true. And every member of the family and every member of the family of God has a part in this. But you're going to talk about that in a minute, right? 
So there's no cookie cutter method or formula for passing on faith. And can I tell you as a mom, I really wish there was because I really enjoy a good predictable outcome. And there are many days that passing on faith is difficult and sometimes messy. I also wanna clarify, you do not need to be a theologian in order to pass on faith and it is never too late to start. When our kids are little, we want them to begin to see the Bible as a single story of God's amazing and good plan of rescue for people that he loves. Just like we teach our little ones ABCs, we can teach them gospel language and gospel principles. A little one can know and articulate, God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to be my forever friend and savior. When our kids get a little bit older into their elementary years, they can begin to learn the deep truths that lie underneath all of the stories of the Bible. These deep truths, they always point to Jesus as redeemer and rescuer, and that he alone is holy and worthy and just, and everything he does is right. And when our kids get to their tween and teen years and doubt begins, those deep truths, they anchor their souls to Jesus during those years when faith gets complicated and confused. And those same deep truths, they anchor our souls during those years as well. That's awesome, Julie. I I think, I know it's so important that we realize our responsibility. We have a responsibility in our families to equip them to, to share God's love with them. But what I love about this spiritual family we, we're in is, is family, it, it doesn't limit to just sharing DNA, right? Our, our families, everything you talked about, we can also apply in our church context. And I don't just mean Springvale Church. I mean the church of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God promises in his word, that we could be part of a new family, a large family, a family with heritage and deep spiritual roots that we can read about throughout the generations. We can be a part of that very family. It's quite beautiful when we can stop and, and think about that, when we can actually see that God's this father that wants relationship with us, right? We're, we're talking about a God's original design is for us to be a family. Now, Julie dove into the Old Testament. What we're gonna do right now is we're gonna look at two passages in the New Testament, both written by the Apostle Paul, both written to churches that he started, and, and there's so much going on. But I want you to just ask yourself one question. What does it mean for me, so what does it mean me, Greg, that I could be a part of God's family? What does that mean, whether you've been a Christian a very long time? Or maybe you're a new follower. Maybe you're on the fence and you're, you're watching today or you're here this morning and you're, you're kind of rustling through that. Or maybe Christianity just repulses you or confuses you or you want nothing to do about it. Just put all that aside for a second. Ask yourself, what does it mean for me that I could be a part of God's family? What could that look like? Let's dive into it. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. That's what it says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received uh, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we could be God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, and we're not going to be able to go through all of it as much as I would really love that, but I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. Dive into that. Romans 8, 14. Dive into that. See what spiritual truths you can pull out after church or tonight before you go to bed. But we're going to focus just on two things, two words, adoption and heirs, and try to answer that question. What does this mean for me? When I think about adoption, I think about my friends and, and people I've run into that have been adopted. And, and I've had the privilege of having, having some pretty close friends being adopted and hearing their stories. Right? They were born into a country where either they never knew their birth parents and they were put in an orphanage, or they were born into really unfortunate situations and, and their families, as, as best they could, just couldn't take care of them. I've known other people who were born in the GTA and same kind of thing. They were just... They were born into a really tough situation. And God laid it on the hearts of other people to bring them into their family, to adopt them out of the tough situation and into a new life, to give them a fresh start, a, a clean slate to, for them to succeed and, and seize the day and, and get into this world and have the best opportunity for success. That's why I think Paul is using this word adoption. It, I think it's very specific. It's, I think it's so we can really grasp what is going on here. We don't just say, oh, yeah, we're Christians. We're nice. We smile, right? We shovel driveways when people need help. Right? We, we read the Bible. No, no, we're, we're adopted into a family. We're, we're a part of something much greater, and we can choose to be adopted, but we can choose to have this new life. So, Greg... You're saying that we can be adopted into God's family and given a new start in life? That's right. Absolutely. I'm glad I'm making sense. We're going to jump into verse 16 of the passage we just read because what happens when we're adopted? We gain the Holy Spirit. God gives us his spirit. Let's look at verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God gives us the spirit. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, right? And he's talking about how the Holy Spirit is that sign for you and I that we are adopted. You know, the Holy Spirit, it, it prompts us. You know, it, it instructs us, it rebukes us, it convicts us. And often, I find myself silencing it or ignoring those feelings and, and, and not listening to the whispers that the Spirit has. And, and it's so clear, the Spirit's testifying, the Spirit God giving us the spirit and the work of Christ that Julie talked about is the reason we can call God Father, Abba, Dad. And so if we're going to be adopted, if we're going to be following Christ, we need to be paying attention to his spirit. Where is it leading? What is it making you feel? How, it's testifying, it's aligning yourself with your spirit. It's going to the Father for us. It's praying on our behalf. God's original design is for us to be a family. He gave us a helper. Let's utilize that. Let's use that. We're going to jump now to Galatians, that second passage that Paul wrote from another book. I love using scripture to help me understand scripture. A little, I encourage you to do that. If, if you're reading through something, try to find other verses that support what you're reading or that can line up or challenge your way of thinking. But we're going to open up to Galatians 4, verse 3 to 7 as... Um, 
Yeah, Paul's saying to another church, another group of people, pretty much the same thing. That's what it says. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God's also made you his heir. Right? So in both of these passages, Paul is affirming that we've been transformed. Right? Julie was talking about how we were slaves. We've been transformed from slaves to sons, from, from slaves to his children. Being born into this world, it's hard. We know that. We're born into struggles. And God says, yes, I can adopt you and give you a fresh start. I'm not going to adopt you. And it not, life's not going to be rainbows and, and prairies. It, it, it's still challenging. But because you are no longer a slave, you have a fresh perspective, a fresh worldview. And the Spirit makes us aware of that. Without getting the Spirit, we would still be living in that darkness. The Spirit allows us to live more like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Okay, got it. But these passages also talk about being heirs. So we're adopted and heirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I think of heir, just like adoption, I think it's so interesting that this is how Paul framed a lot of how he spoke about this topic. I heard a story, I don't know, two or three years ago of this guy. Uh, he was actually around my age, and he was born into a family that was very wealthy. His mom and dad owned this big company. They owned like estates and boats and cars and, and all this stuff. And there was a tragic accident where both the mother and father had passed. And so what happened to the business? What happened to the wealth, the boats, the cars, the estates? Well, when they looked at the will, it all went to the son. The son was the rightful now owner. He is now responsible for the work of his parents. He's to take care of what was handed off to him. His dad worked to build something. And now he left it to his son because he knew his son was going to take care of it. That's why Paul's using this word here. To be an heir means to take something that is inherited, that's given to you. And now you're responsible to look after it. Now, God hasn't passed away. He's very much alive and working in this world. But he's chosen to use us. And he's asked us, I've adopted you. I've made you an heir. Guess what? I've made you a co-heir with my son, Christ. Now be responsible and go into the world and make a difference. I don't know why God chooses to use us, but he does. It's, we're going to jump, we're going to look at Abraham really quickly. Abraham, um, before his, God changed his name to Abraham, his name was Abram. And we can um, look at the promise God gave him. God made, made him a, a partaker in his plan. And just like Abraham, we too can be a partaker in God's plan. Now, Abraham's story starts out where his father died. They were living in Haran, which would kind of be modern-day Turkey nowadays. And after his death, after Abraham's father's death, that's the first time we see this beautiful, amazing promise that God gives to Abram. Now, God chose Abram, God chose Abraham, not necessarily because he was this great, good, holy guy. 
He was simply a man of faith. He was a man of great faith. Let's look at Genesis verse 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be a blessing through you. Now, I'm not going to sing it, because that would be, I would, I, it would be bad. But you know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. I used to sing that in Springville Kids when yeah, I was here do. as a little kid. All those songs, they're great. They stuck right with me. But anyways, if we think about what that's saying, that promise we see all throughout Genesis, it's referred to all throughout Scripture. We could be a partaker in God's plan. God used Abraham because of his faith. Who else did God use because of their faith? Mary. Mary was a human. She was no more human than you or I. And God chose to use her because of her faith. Who did Jesus come from? Mary. David. Abraham, like that promise we to see, God brought his very son to this world. He brought God to this world through the seed of a man, a broken, sinful man, just like you and I. Guys, God wants to use us. God wants to use you. Not because you were good. Not because of what you've done. But because of who you are in him. Because you're adopted, because you're an heir, and because of your faith. We need to take care of what's important to God. That story, right? That, that son, now he's responsible for the boats, the cars, the estates, and he needs to manage all them to honor what his father wanted. Well, we need to, to manage what's important to God. Now, he's still in control. We don't have authority. But what's important to God? Life, this earth, his creation. We are heirs, which means God chooses to say, you're adopted now, you have a responsibility to love, to go share the gospel, to go tell people about me, that experience you have with me, now that relationship, I should say, don't just keep that to yourself, share that with other people. It's amazing. When we hear Abraham, when we hear Mary, David, think about how God used everyday people, great people of faith, but he wants to use us too. And I think that's so amazing. Greg, at the beginning, you asked us, what does it mean for me that I'm a part of God's family? I did. And I hope you've been thinking about that. It means, right, to repeat myself on purpose, you've been adopted, brought into a new spiritual family. You're responsible. You have now a, a purpose, I should say, because you were an heir. You are, you are now a co-heir with Christ. You have a duty. You have a job description. Now, to put it into a different way of thinking, imagine, just put yourself in this situation. You're, you're a young child, and all you know is maybe eating once a day if you're lucky. You know, you're, you live in a, a pretty poor part of the world, and, and that's, that's all you, you know. And, and you're a couple, you, as you've gone through that for a couple years, one day you find yourself in this flying metal thing, and, and you, you fly over to North America, and and you come around this family, and the family gives you new clothes and food every day, three times a day, and snacks. And, and 
after a day and a week and a month, this family's not going anywhere, you're not flying back, and you get enrolled in school, and, and you realize you've been adopted. You've been taken out of an unfortunate situation and, and brought into a new situation. How would that make you feel? You're given a fresh start. Yeah, you'd, I'm sure you'd miss some parts of your old life, but I, I think I would look at that opportunity be thankful for, for a new start to be successful in whatever God would have for me. And then one day as you grow older and you, you really grow and you become a part of that new family, your parents pass away. And they leave to you all that they had. They brought you in. Gave you their last name. Gave you a fresh start in life. And now what was theirs is now your responsibility to take care of, to look after. Because that's what's going on. Again, God's not died, God hasn't died, but he's given us as an heir a responsibility to take part in what's important to him. He's adopted us. He's given us a chance to have a purpose here on this earth. Guys, in, in this past couple years of being stuck at home and limited being able to do stuff, purpose has been lacking for lots of people. But when we know that we're a child of God, we know that no matter what happens around us, we have a job to do, whether it's praying for people, whether it's going out and doing something kind. We have a purpose. We have a new life. He's taken us out of darkness. He's given us a new path. And he's given us his spirit to convict, to guide, to prompt, to give us peace. And so we need to keep passing on, as Julie was saying, passing down our faith to our kids. But it's not just that. It's passing our faith to our siblings, to our parents, our grandparents, the people we come into contact with, church, we're a spiritual family, so maybe you don't have kids, but maybe you need to share your faith with somebody else's kids and, and help them from your experiences. We need to be a body. We need to be ebbing and flowing together. We need to function with the same direction. We're all in this together. Like that old car collection that you used to watch your dad tinker with. Once a year, you jump in his old Corvette and you drive to Kortha Dairy and you get banana ice cream, because that is the best flavor of Kortha ice cream. And then when your dad gets a little bit older, he says, you know what, son, here is my car collection. Don't sell it. Take care of it and do the same with your son. And he does. He passes it to the next son, and they take care of it because it means something. They're responsible for the, the stuff being passed down, that engagement ring that you wear. You want to pass to your daughter that your mom wore and her mom wore and her mom wore before that. It's important, not because it's big, because it means something. You're passing on what's important to you. If you've decided to follow Christ, it means that should be the most important thing to you. And so we're to pass on our faith to our spiritual families and our physical families and anybody else we come into contact with. We're to help our brothers and sisters when they're in need. We're to support each other. it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a family. Whether you're alone or you have 10 brothers and sisters, we know that God is our Father. And this is why we love, serve, give, be kind to the needy. We don't do those things to earn favor or earn love. We do those things because God says, okay, right? Our hearts are aligned. You have my spirit. Now go, Show people my love because I'm coming back. I'm sending my son back to restore all of this one day and I want you in eternity with me. A little bit of authenticity. Growing up in the church, being always told, don't sin, change your behavior, 
do good works, love, yeah, it's good, but I got into this habit of doing good works, trying not to sin, because I would go, God, I want you to love me more. I want you to be proud of me. I want to earn favor in, in your eyes. But, but we've already gained that. He loves us unconditionally. He uses us. We don't serve, we don't love because we want God to love us more. At least we shouldn't. We serve, we love, we do works to show people Christ's love. To show other people what it means to be a part of the family. To show our brothers and sisters that we got your back. We're all in this together. And so if we find ourselves in those traps, as I find myself in those traps, I got to remind myself, no matter who I am, God loves me. Like, thank you, Lord. Now, Let's go out into the world and help other people find Christ. Now, I want to be very clear on this. The Holy Spirit is the only one who converts. So that should just take the responsibility right off. What is our job? To love. To show God's love. To love other people. We don't know what God's plan is out there. We don't know how the Spirit's working in the lives. We don't know where our family members or our friends or the people come in contact are going to end up. But we do know, and what we can control is how we represent Christ to them. And we got to trust and let God take care of the rest. And so what are we going to do about all this? What do I hope we do about all this? We just love, we serve, we get involved, whether that's here at church, whether that's in our communities, whether that's in your families, whether that's somebody that God put on your heart today. And you thought, oh, I haven't talked to that person since the beginning of COVID, or I need to work through something with my boss. God puts people in our lives and it's not a coincidence. And so let's look at the people he's put in our life and think, how can I show Christ's love to them? Let the spirit break your heart for what breaks God. And now I'm going to shamelessly plug our ministries because, you know, we're repping them right now, Springville Youth, Springville Kids. But we have ministries at the church like youth and kids. And what we're doing is we're trying to help our spiritual family find Christ, love Christ, when they make mistakes, help them. Be kind of the riverbanks is the analogy I use. As they're the river, they're flowing, they're flowing. We're trying to be the riverbanks to steer and to help them. And when there's a flood and everything overflows, we're always there to support them. Think about when you came to Christ or if you came to Christ. Yes, it was the Holy Spirit working inside of you, but I'm willing to bet somebody had an impact on you. Whether they gave you a track or a Bible or they just loved you or they, whatever they did, think about that. Now think about how God also wants to use you in the lives of other people. And so maybe it's at hockey with the moms in the drive-thru at Tim Hortons. Or maybe it's joining a, a ministry like Kids or Youth where you get to use your stories to help other people, younger kids and students, be encouraged. It, it blows my mind. And Julie, I'm sure you have a bunch of stories just like this. The leaders that God brings in, it's always for the right time. And it's amazing. We kind of throw leaders together and we, we, we do it prayfully, of course. But when something goes down and I go, wow, that kid had that leader for this perfect time. And I had no idea about any of it. Get involved in life. It doesn't have to be kids and youth, but we're plugging hard because we need leaders. Get involved as a church. Come to church. God's original design was for us to be a family. Let's be an ambassador. Let's love and be like Christ. Yeah. So to wrap up, this isn't easy, but our God is faithful. And he keeps his promises, and he is always near. 
And so as family members and as members of the family of God, we pray relentlessly and we trust God and we show and we share over and over and over again that secure identity and belonging and purpose, those are found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Greg, would you close us off in prayer, please? I'd love to. Father, we love you, and we thank you for adopting us. And right now, Lord, I pray for those who haven't made that decision, those you love who haven't made that decision. We pray that you bring somebody into their life to show them your love. And we pray, Spirit, that you work in the lives of the people that we love. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Help us to support our brothers and sisters. Encourage us, Lord, that we know we're, we're, we're not good, but we have faith, and we try to be our best to be an example of Christ to this world. Encourage us this morning. Thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We want to leave you with this short video of some of our family members who are intentionally passing on faith here in our Springville family as well as in their own.